We're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. We've been in there since uh, the start in February, and uh, we just want you to know that we, uh, we love God's Word, and we love all of it, and uh, we desire to learn everything that He has in it for us. And so this is why we would dig deep and, and stay in a book for as long as God has us. And we've been slowly working our way through the book of Colossians, and uh, God's been doing a lot of, of work on my own heart. I mentioned this last week, and again this week, as I've been preparing uh, the sermon for this week, God's been doing a lot of work on my heart, and, and I welcome that. Uh, the Holy Spirit has written the scriptures for us to, to be equipped, to be exhorted, to be challenged, to be taught. Uh, the scriptures teach us that we need Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, we ended Paul showing us that, that Christ is all and is in all of his people. He is everything, and that's why we're singing his name this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'd love for you to have one in your hands. Just slip your hand up. Our ushers would give, give you a Bible. If you don't have one at home, take that home as yours. We want you to have God's all-sufficient, powerful word in your hands. And so last week, we were in Colossians 3 and verse 5. And uh, last week was one of those heavy sermons, one of those, uh, I like to call them an uppercut ser- sermon. Uh, one of those that hit really precisely and hard, and, and I love that about God's Word, that it does cut deep at times. It opens it, us up, shows us our sin, shows us our need of Christ. He not only opens us up, but He provides the cure, and the cure is Jesus Christ and in Him alone. So last week we were looking at Colossians 3, verses 5 to 11. And the Holy Spirit really held no punches last week. He did some refining work in our body, I believe. Paul was warning us about sexual sin, sexual immorality, and also sins of speech. And through this study, we we witnessed a command that we need to be putting to death the old man, slaying our sexual sins, putting away and holding fast our divisive tongues, our loose tongues, that are driven by idolatrous hearts. Now, these can often lead to such hurt and relational discord and division, especially in the church. And so we were called last week to be killing these old ways, to be putting on also new ways. And we're going to learn about that today. Um, Christian life is a life of transformation, continually being transformed into the image of our creator, Jesus Christ. And last week, we already learned that we have new clothes. We have new clothes in Jesus Christ. He provides us a new life. We are no longer a part of the old Adam anymore. We are now in Christ. He's given us a preeminent process, and we see preeminent progress in our life as well as we submit to God's Word, looking to Him, understanding Him through His Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to change us. So last week, we learned about what not to wear. This week, we're going to be learning about what to wear. Now, before we begin, I just want to take a quick poll from all of our people here. You might think this is a little silly, but uh, how many people here have have cell phones, smartphones? All right, oh yeah, we've got quite a few of us, and some of them are your Bibles this morning, I can see. Um, How many people are Apple people? Raise your hand. How many people are Android people? Wow, that's pretty uh, interesting. Any BlackBerry people out there? One BlackBerry. (laughs) 
So how many people love technology, new technology? I think you guys probably all do. All right, how many of you despise new technology? All right, yeah, my wife's hand is up. Um, how many of you love the pursuit of, of getting a brand new device, right? Like your phone just fell on the ground and you broke the screen and you're not so sad about that, right? Oh, I get to get, I get, to get the new phone, right? And so I love, I love getting a new phone or a new device. I mean, it's, it's kind of something with the human culture that we are we're consumers. We love these kinds of things. In fact, I think I really love opening a new device, getting that little white box from the salesman, and, uh, and it's still covered in plastic, and, and racing home and opening that thing up and, and uh, thinking about all the awesome things it has for you, all the promises from the big reveal and the announcement, all these awesome features. And so you get home and, and you open up that box and you pull off the lid and you, you look at it and, and you marvel at it in all of its glass and aluminum glory and, uh, and then you turn it on and then you explore all of its glorious features. And so if you, if you like that, you've got good company. I like doing that as well. And in fact, I see on YouTube they have unwrapping YouTube channels, just unwrapping new things. It's kind of crazy. Um, anyhow, we, we love to do this, turning it on, checking it out, looking at all the new options. And it's really kind of silly when you think about it because the minute you open up that new device, it's already old news. It's already old technology. Well, today we get to unwrap something far greater. We get to unwrap something so much more beautiful so much more powerful. We get to unwrap something heavenly given to us by Christ, something eternal. We're going to see that in Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. Paul writes, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we come to you this morning as beggars in need of grace, need of mercy again. Lord, we love you, and we love your word, and we treasure it. We thank you that, that you teach and equip us through it. Lord, we pray that in this small section of Scripture today, that you would teach us and guide us, transform us into the image of your beloved Son, and that he would get all the glory. We ask the Holy Spirit to be speaking to us as we read your word, hear from you from your word. Pray that the Holy Spirit would take your word and apply it to our hearts and transform us deeper. And this we are truly thankful, Lord. Uh, we ask for your hand in our hearts and in our lives. Help us to be attentive and help us to be worshipers in spirit and truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So like I said, we get to unwrap a gift today from God, a life-altering gift. 
with the most powerful options you could ever imagine. Today we get, to, we get to discover a gift from God that has eternal redeeming realities, a gift that draws us together in harmony and peace as God's people. Today we get to examine our new spiritual hearts. God made us alive. He, he gave us a new heart. And today we get to explore four new glorious functions of our new heart. And the first point is this, we need to unwrap it, discover our new heart of compassion, discover our new heart of compassion, starting in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And so as we see Paul closing out the last section from from last week, exalting Jesus as all and in all his people, he begins to teach us about putting on the all and in all. Putting on Jesus, our new clothes, our new heart that is his heart. As Christ is all and in all of his people over all time, Paul also teaches the Colossian church and us this morning that we are God's chosen ones. We are God's chosen ones. We, the church, are holy and beloved. Chosen ones. Holy. Beloved. Does that sound like you? When you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, do you, do you say, I am chosen. I am holy. I am beloved. Where, all, where does this language come from, and, and why is it so important? Well, it comes... Uh, uh, Paul is teaching, of course, there's a, a Judeo um, background to the church, and so he's referencing the Old Testament, the testimony leading up to the New Testament as it's fulfilled in Jesus. And this same language is used for Israel. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, and I love this, it says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on and chose you, for you were of the fewest of all peoples. It's not because the Jews were special. The Lord chose them. Nothing great about them. He chose them. It was his plan. And so in the Old Testament, God chooses the nation of Israel And he calls them holy. He calls them chosen. He calls them his treasured people, his beloved people, not because of anything great done by them, but because God is full of love and mercy. So Israel was God's covenant people, the people who God revealed himself to, the people of the promise. There was the promise of the coming Messiah, And it was to those people that he revealed that promise, that out of them would come one who would die for them. And when he came, when Jesus came, and and he lived his life, and then he died his death, and then he rose from the grave, and then he ascended to heaven, he fulfills all of the Old Testament laws. Everything that was pointing to the Messiah. And then he created his church. His church made up of all kinds of people like you and me, all kinds of different backgrounds and nationalities. And he makes one people. And in his blood, Jesus creates the new Israel, 
We are in him. He is the new Israel, and we are found in him as the new Israel as well. And so now all people, regardless of background, we talked about this last week, barbarian, Scythian, slaves, and free, it's, it's level ground when we're in Christ. Anyone who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are included, you are chosen, you are beloved, you are holy. And so if you are in Christ this morning, that is you. And then the New Testament confirms this as well. 1 Peter 2.9. But you, speaking of the church, mixed backgrounds, Jewish, Gentile, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, we have received such grace and mercy. In Jesus, we are chosen, we are holy, and we are beloved. Holy. Holy reminds us that as God has chosen us, we are set apart. We are distinct from the world. Beloved reminds us that uh, all of this took place because of God's great love that he has for his people. Christ loves his bride. He loves us in all of our weakness. He loves us in our sin. And he loves you so much that he saved you from your sin. Holy, beloved, set apart. And in this choosing and in this saving, God makes you new. Colossians was telling us all about, about this, being buried in Christ, being raised up to life in him. And in your raising, God gives you a new heart, a new heart with holy desires, a new heart with glorious features, Christ-like compassion. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul calls us here. He's, because we are chosen, because we are holy, because we are beloved, we are to put on this heart of compassion. It's just like putting on brand new clothes and then standing in the mirror and seeing the new you, seeing your new heart in all of its heavenly glory. just talking about unwrapping new devices. This should be a billion times more exciting, talking about your new heart that you've been given. This is amazing. It's heavenly. It's glorious. It is incredible. So no longer do I have to be a slave to that old heart, that old stone, that old hunger for, like we learned last week, sexual immorality, impurity, evil passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. Now I have the supernatural ability to engage with the world with a brand new heart. To have genuine Christ-like compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
Friends, you don't have to pay extra for this. This is all included in the package. You are given as freely in Christ because these gifts are exemplified in him. This is who he is. This is his heart. Jesus is preeminent in compassion. He is supreme in kindness. He is first in humility. He is number one in meekness. And he is entirely patient with us. That is your God. And now we get his features given to us in our new hearts. So who wants to take a look at some of these features with me? Who wants to explore some of these and see these features of your new heart? Let's have a look. Compassionate heart. A compassionate heart. Uh, the root of this phrase is a little strange. It actually means in the original language, bowels of mercy. So we've been given some new bowels of mercy. Um, it seems a little weird, but uh, uh, back in those times, the bowels, the intestinal area, that's where people believe their emotions were centered. And they would also say that's where your heart is. It's just all kind of wrapped up. And that's especially where love would sit, is in the bowels of mercy. Now, we think a little differently than that today. We, we think about this in our hearts, of course, our spiritual hearts. And the best way to um, explain this word would say that it's, it's tender-hearted mercy, love for others, heartfelt compassion, genuine concern, and mercy. So this means that in Christ, my heart is now less focused on myself and my own needs, but it's full of mercy, tender-hearted mercy for others. That's your compassionate heart. And also in that heart is kindness, given kindness, meaning being full of grace and goodness of God. So I'm no longer harsh. It's a godly, gracious goodness towards others. Like Christ's very own kindness, like it says in Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We also know that it's because of the Lord's kindness that he leads us to repentance. How about this? Also humility, compassionate heart, kindness, humility. What's interesting about humility in, in the ancient world, it wasn't really treasured. Humility was not really a treasured attribute in the Roman Greco world at this time. In, in fact, pride and pomp was celebrated. But Christianity turned this on its head in the person of Jesus, who in Philippians 2.8 says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That would have been ludicrous to the Roman era, the Roman society, that one would humble himself. But the Christian life is a life of humility, a humility that is not in our own power, but in the example and in the power of Jesus Christ. How about this gentleness? We got some gentle people around here, gentlemen. Uh, this is closely tied to humility. Um, the, the Greek lexicon would, would define it as this. It's the quality of not being overly impressed by the sense of one's own importance. 
right? Again, this is something that is given to us in Jesus Christ, who in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, gentle and humble. And then we have patience. Patience. Anybody here impatient? I think I'm one of the most impatient people at times. My wife was smiling at me again. <laughs> patient. What a godly attribute. We are often so impatient. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about patience. He says, Patience is a grace as difficult as it is necessary and as hard to come by as it is precious when it is gained. Patience, patience, you are always in a hurry, but God is not. First Timothy five or First Timothy one fifteen to sixteen, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. This is Paul writing, right? But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example of those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Jesus, the example and the person of patience. So friends, this, this new heart that we have that's been given to us in our salvation is the heart of Christ. So we need to, we need to unwrap that thing. We need to put it on, Paul says. We need to discover what new godly eternal features we have. And so if you're taking notes, you have, you have compassion. You have Christ-like compassion. You have kindness. You have humility. You have meekness and patience. But the problem is, is that we don't often open it up right away. We want to. Sometimes we don't. We don't put it on right away. Have you ever seen anybody, uh, you ever give a gift to somebody? and Say it's Christmas morning, whatever it is. You give them the gift and they say thank you, and then they put it beside themselves on the floor, and they don't open it up. It drives me crazy. I want you to open it up right now. As a kid, I remember going to the store, and uh, I don't know what it would be, buying something new. Maybe it was clothes, put it, getting a new T-shirt, whatever it is, loving this new T-shirt. I could barely get home without putting that new T-shirt on. We've got to wear our new clothes. We've got to put on our new heart. And Paul is showing us here that in such a greater way that, that we have been given this amazing gift of a new heart, no longer do we have that heart of stone. No longer are our hearts all about pleasing ourselves. We get the incredible privilege of having new heart attitudes. We get unprecedented access to the heart of Christ. And then we can genuinely model the love of Christ in this world to each other. And so let me ask you, have you unwrapped that heart? Have you put that heart on? Have you discovered the new features of your new heart? Are those old features of your old heart that heart that is bent on idolatry, is that still getting in the way? Paul says, put that off and put on the new heart. It's yours. It's yours in Jesus Christ. So when we put on compassion, we put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, we also get access 
to another great attribute, an amazing attribute, and that's the feature of forgiveness. Forgiveness. So, so after you unwrap your heart of compassion, you need to press the power button. You need to turn it on. You need to fire it up. Switch it on. Unleash the reconciling power of whole heart forgiveness. Paul says in verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Friends, the true fruit of a heart of compassion is a heart full of forgiveness. So this, this new heart that you inherit from Christ, uh, this heart is no longer satisfied with quarreling. It's no longer satisfied with dissension or division or broken relationships. It's a heart that seeks unity, a heart that bears with one another. Well, friends, there's no doubt that, that in this Colossian church with, with the false teaching and all the things that were coming at it, there would have been dissension and, and division. There was Jews and Gentiles fighting over the law. There was people teaching you that you needed a fuller experience outside of the gospel in order to experience true Christianity. There was pagan roots. There would have been many different preferences and personalities in that church. Where's all the people with the problems in our church? You know, something that you can say to yourself in the morning is, I'm probably the biggest enemy to my church, right? We all come with problems. We all come with pride and issues. Uh, I've often heard it said that the problem with the church is that there is people in it. Well, if you've heard that before, sometimes we can agree, right? You and I came to church this morning with, with different upbringings, Different testimonies, different personalities, different preferences, different affiliations, different traditions. Friends, the church at times can be messy. It can be messy. People's feelings may get hurt. They may have certain expectations, certain desires. They may have a certain idea about the Bible much differently than the next person. And in that, our relationships can get strained. Uh, people can come and, and people can go. But the true secret to unity is found right here in this text. We need to be bearing with one another. Which really means putting up with one another. And the sense here is, is being used in the text is, it's, is to endure something unpleasant or difficult for the greater good. So how many of us here can be difficult at times? My son raised his hand. That's awesome. <laughs> I can be very difficult at times as well. And Paul says we need to bear with one another. We will hurt each other. The truth is, is that we will hurt each other. We're people. We're sinners. We're saved by grace. But we still deal with sin. We still want to go our own ways at times, and we still sin against each other. And so Paul says that we need to be ready and prepared in light of this to live a life of forgiveness for one another. He says, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. 
The Christian life is a life of forgiveness. Because we have been forgiven so much, forgiveness in this context uh, translates the Greek verb kurzomai. It conveys an idea that forgiving others is an act of grace. It is freely offered and it is often not deserved. We don't forgive somebody because they deserve forgiveness. We choose to forgive as Christ forgives. Uh, one thing that I've learned about being around the church in my life is, is that it's not perfect, right? It's not perfect. We're not in heaven yet. We're going to sin against each other. It doesn't mean that everything is going to go smoothly. Uh, people assume things. People accuse things. People expect things. People don't communicate. If we have a problem and we're sinned against, maybe we think that we're sinned against, we often fail at following the biblical process for how to deal with one another's hurts and sins. And then we often return to our old flesh at times, like we were speaking about last week, the sins of the heart, the sins of the mouth. But what we need to do is we need, we need to expect that it's not going to be perfect. Expect that we are going to fall short. And we need to expect and anticipate that we will have to forgive one another. As we look at each other coming in here and doing life together, just expect. I'm going to have to forgive my brother or sister of something one day. If someone has a grievance against someone else, let's not be satisfied with pointing fingers or relational breakdown. Let's be a people who are ready and willing to forgive. Because why? Because we have been forgiven so much. We have been forgiven our sins that are worthy of eternal damnation. Our God is a forgiving God. And Christians are to be a people of forgiveness. Forgiven Christians forgive Christians. Just think about the cross. Think about all the blood that was poured out of Jesus Christ. All the blood that came out of his veins. You know, the average human body holds about five and a half liters of blood. That's, a, that's just like a jug and a half of, of milk. It's, it's really small when you think about it, but the amount of blood that was poured out of Jesus Christ was enough to forgive the sins of every person who turns to him in faith. His blood of forgiveness is so full. And Paul calls us to forgive like that. Forgive like that as he forgives, to humbly, sacrificially, and fully forgive one another. So we must also forgive. And so let me ask you, are you a forgiver? Are you quick to forgive? Or are you a person that is, that is easily hurt? Maybe you're a person that runs quickly to bitterness. Now let's just take, for example, our marriages. Maybe, maybe your spouse sins against you. Let's say it's a sin that, that truly, deeply hurts you. And then your spouse sees their sin. They, they see how much they've hurt you, and they are seeking forgiveness. In that moment, do you act like judge, jury, and executioner? Or are you running to forgiveness? Friends, we have been forgiven so much. 
Just take the time and try to comprehend the depths of forgiveness that God has for you. Just think about all the sins, every sin that you have ever committed in your life against one another, against directly to God. And just remember that just one of those sins, just one of those sins is worthy of eternal punishment. He is an eternally holy God. And he is also just and needs to judge sin. Just one sin. Now take that justice and multiply it by every sin you have ever committed. And then be in awe at how the Lord has mercifully, graciously lavished his forgiveness for you. He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. He chooses to remember it no more. You are wiped clean. The slate is clean. He remembers it no more. So friends, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Now on a bit of a side note here, just to bring some clarity to what forgiveness is, biblical forgiveness let me ask you this. Does, does forgiveness mean that we overlook everything? Does forgiveness mean that we don't confront ongoing sin? No. Does forgiveness seek repentance? It does. If we are to forgive as the Lord forgives, meaning not just the what, but the how he forgives. He forgives um, with repentance. He forgives those who are repentant. Does, does the Lord just simply forgive every sin of every person in this world right now? Is everybody in this world right now forgiven? If that was the case, there would be no need of hell. Does he just simply overlook sin? Or does he require repentance and faith? So friends, if we are to forgive as the Lord forgives, we seek repentance. Forgiveness always seeks repentance. And for the other person to have godly sorrow to be at the center. Now, this does not give us license to be bitter. We're not a people that can be bitter. Like say if somebody sinned against you and they are not repentant, that doesn't mean you have any right to be bitter towards that person. In fact, your heart needs to be a heart of forgiveness, ready and willing to make that transaction of forgiveness upon that per person's repentance. It's like, it's like you have chosen to come to the center of this process of reconciliation. You have, you've seen Christ, his forgiveness. I have a forgiving heart. I'm standing at the middle waiting for reconciliation. So it's not license to not be a forgiving person. It's being enabled to forgive wholly through your whole heart. We forgive as God forgives, meaning that we wash the slate clean of other people. This is the other side of it. When you choose to forgive as God forgives, you choose to forget sin. Now, that's really hard to do. It just means that you choose not to hold that sin against them any longer. Somebody comes to you with true repentance, godly sorrow for their sin, you choose to not count that against them anymore. That's what God does for you. 
they are no longer guilty of that sin in your eyes anymore. And that is, that is the beauty. That is the freedom that comes, the unity that comes from a heart of forgiveness. Forgive as the Lord God has forgiven you. One commentator says, By forgiving, we do become Christ to others. By bearing in our bodies the weight of unjust accusation, undeserved pain, unretaliated harm, we are the Holy Spirit's message of Jesus to others. So by the practice of forgiveness, we have the privilege of being a living witness to the one we, must, we most love. The one who has loved us eternally and sacrificially, we ultimately forgive for the Lord. We forgive as he forgives. There's much more that can be said about that. But the Christian life is, is ongoing. Confession, repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation for one another. And it's all for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. So friends, put on that forgiveness. Put those new clothes on. Put on your new heart. Switch it on. Unleash the reconciling power of whole heart forgiveness. When you forgive, it leads to harmony. It leads to peace and unity. And so as you've unwrapped that new heart and as you have switched it on, unleashing this Christ-like forgiveness, next we need to set it up. Set it up. We need to govern our hearts with harmonious love. Verse 14, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Above all these, put on love. So the idea in the original text here, it sticks to this analogy of, of putting on clothes. And this above all things really means to put on an outer covering, almost like a belt, an outer court, an outer, outer coat, to put on an overarching rule to govern all things, which Paul says here is the virtue of love. So when you think of when you think of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness, you need to think of love as the binding agent that holds this all together. It is the governing protocol, the law, the law of love that causes all of these things to work together. John MacArthur says, this is, love is the most important moral quality in the believer's life. For it is the very glue that produces unity in the church. Believers will never enjoy mutual fellowship through compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, or patience. They will not bear with each other or forgive each other unless they love one another. So how well are we doing with loving one another? Always a good question to be asking ourselves. Friends, we have in our doctrinal statement kind of a preamble before that, and it says... On the majors, conviction, on the minors, tolerance, but in all things, love. We want to let love govern the way that we do things in this church. Because love is the agent that produces unity, which gives Christ glory. Jesus said himself, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's the glue. It's the evidence. Why is love 
so powerful? Why is it so powerful to, to unite people who are so different? People who easily hurt one another. I love this, and it's, it'll be said a lot this summer at weddings. This is Christ-like love. 1 Corinthians 3.8, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love is powerful. And this is the love of Christ that is preloaded. It's already installed in that new heart. It's the operating system. It's the supernatural byproduct from our supernatural source, Jesus Christ, and it brings supernatural unity among God's people. And it's this love, Paul says, that binds all things together. It, is, it brings unity in perfect harmony. It's the kind of love that leads to peace. And so we let, we let the peace of Christ, which is driven by love, we let it rule in our hearts to which indeed we were called in one body, that's unity, one body, unity, and we are to be thankful. So in friends, in love we are called by God, in love we have been saved from our sin, in love we have been saved to the church, and in love we are unified, and we are at peace with God and peace with one another. Love. Love has been God's plan from the very beginning. The plan has been from the beginning, from God to, pre to prepare for himself a unified bride, full of love, brought together by love. And so we need, we need to let love cover all things. Put it on like an outer coat. Let it rule your choices. Allow our hearts to be governed by this, and it'll produce peace that can only come from Jesus Christ. So if you've ever struggled with, with a strained relationship or, or strife with a brother and sister, perhaps you're in a battle in your marriage right now. Maybe you have constant struggle with coworkers, with bosses. Just think of any relationship in your life. In that moment, in that strife, in that struggle, look at your heart. What is your heart doing in that moment? Ask yourself that. What is my heart doing right now? Am I letting the peace of Christ rule? Or is my heart returning to my old functions, my old ways? Am I engaging my new heart that has been given to me by Christ? Or am I trying to resurrect, resurrect that old man up? To try to find that cold, dead heart I used to have, and trying to put that cold, dead heart back in, that evil heart, that turning heart, that heart that used to churn, used to boil in anger, wrath, and malice, all the things we talked about in last week's sermon, a heart of anger, a heart of pride, a heart of quarreling, who's at the helm of your heart? Is it love? Is it peace? Is it Christ? 
So your answer to relational conflict in your life, and especially in the church, is to get out of your own way. Get out of your own way. Your answer is not to win. Your answer is not to get your own way. Your answer is not to get vengeance. Your only hope of peace and unity is to put on love. In the power of the Holy Spirit, informed by God's word, put on love. So set up your heart. Set it up in love. Set your operating system to harmonious love. And so we see we, we unwrap this heart. We've installed this heart. We're, we're switching it on, setting it up. And finally, we need to keep our heart charged. We need to keep our hearts charged. Charge it up. Fuel your heart with word-driven worship. This is the fuel for a united church, a fuel for a united heart. So verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so as you think over the last week, the last month or two, what role has the word of Christ played in your life? Has it been a vibrant, deep, indwelling relationship? What role has Scripture been playing in your heart this week? The Bible that is in your hands. Has it been vibrant? Has it been overwhelming? Has it been abundantly joyful? Has it been the foundation for your soul? Has the Word of God been dwelling, which really means to take up residence, to live within you? Has it been living in you richly, abundantly, extravagantly? Is God's Word at home in your heart. God wrote a book to you. God wrote a book to us. A book full of love. Is it at home in your heart? And as great as we should be asking ourselves these questions personally, the context here is the church. Paul wants us to show that the Colossian church and us that we need to be putting our Hope in the Word of God as the very center of all that we do here as the church. And not only this, he gives us some awesome practical advice, practical ways that we are to be going about doing this. How we are to be going about seeking unity, keeping that fire of unity alive in our hearts in the church. To let God's Word dwell richly in our hearts. So he says we must teach God's word. We must apply God's word, sing God's word. God's word has to be at the center because why? Because it's God's word. He wrote a book to us. He revealed Jesus to us. The Bible is our standard. If anything does not line up with God's word, we toss it out. It's our rule and our practice. So it has to be at the center. If it's not at the center, we are merely making things up. And yes, we have freedom in worship, but we line things up with Scripture. 
We're not here to seek our own desires. We're not here to make it up as we go. Uh, I heard about a, I'll put it in quotations, a church in our city. It's called the Calgary Secular Church. Anybody hear of that? It's a gathering of people who choose to relate to each other based on human thinking and, and philosophy. They meet on Sunday mornings. They hold services together, they sing songs, they, they share stories, they have fellowship, they even do potlucks like all good Christians do, right? But they despise the Word of God. It's Calgary, Calgary Secular Church. Friends, a, tr- a true church is a church with the Word at its center. And even though some churches today are moving away from God's Word, we need to be running to God's Word. Running to God's word, hard and fast. The world doesn't want God's word. Some churches are are turning away from God's word so that they can attract the world. The world doesn't want God's word. But God wants his word at the center. And we need to teach God's word. We need to apply God's word. We need to sing God's word. So let's just talk about those for a minute. Teach God's word. That's That's what I'm doing here this morning teaching God's word. We believe in in our services that the word of God being preached is the climax. It is the high point of the church service. This is why we come. We want to hear from God. It is the proclamation. It is the heralding of God's word. So we believe in bold preaching. We want to maximize God's word when the world wants to minimize God's word. We want to seek that everything that we do aligns up with his word. And so in our church, our desire, our aim is to have the word at the center of all that we do, whether that be here Sunday morning, that's in our small groups, in our youth groups, in our men's ministry, anything that we do, we want to have God's word at the center. Teach God's word. Feed the sheep. Preach God's word. How about admonish? We admonish. We apply God's word. We admonish one another with all wisdom, like it says here. We we seek not only to be hearers of God's word, but to be doers of God's word. We don't want to walk in here and fill our minds with knowledge and walk out and live completely differently. We desire for God's word to change us, to be changing our character, transforming us. And so a big part of our church here is we have smaller groups of gatherings, small groups where we challenge one another. We apply God's word to one another. We sink it deep into each other's lives. We we hold each other accountable to God's word. And then we pray God's word into each other. And then like we already have done this morning so excellently, we sing God's word. We sing God's word. Josh and the the team here at at Harvest, um, they are under the oversight of the elders and we're careful with what we sing And like Paul says here, we want to be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So many of the songs that we sing will come directly from the psalms, directly from Scripture. Actually, with the children downstairs, uh, they sing uh, from this seed's worship. It is just Scripture set to music. Singing the psalms, singing hymns, singing spiritual songs. Spiritual songs are very much just testimonial songs. We sang that, all I have is Christ. It's a testimony of what God has done for his people. 
And we design our services in our worship to be pointing again to the teaching of God's Word, to to, to lead to a, a vertical emphasis towards Christ. It's not just about us. It's about Him. And so we are ready to receive and to hear from Him. So I, I mentioned this is what we're doing. We don't do this perfectly. This is our aim. We see it in Scripture. We want to live by it. And so we're doing everything we can to do that. Our aim is to let God's Word dwell richly within us in all that we do. That is our goal. We want the Lord to receive our best. And our best will only be best if it's rooted in God's Word. And in our best, we need to be thankful, grateful. Paul says, do all of this with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is what it's about. It's about Christ being exalted, being exemplified in our lives, us finding our complete joy, our complete satisfaction in him and in him alone. We worship out of extreme eternal gratitude for what God has done for us. It's not to earn anything. It's not to receive anything. It's for the matchless grace of our king. The reason that we exist, the reason that we live, the reason we worship and come together is because of the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our king. He is the one to be exalted. The only one worthy of our praise. The one who receives all the glory for all that we do. And I love what Habakkuk 2.14 says. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. Friends, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And so are you living this life right now, this little envelope of existence? Are you living this for him right now? Are you living it for his glory? Are you living all things to him? Being thankful for him. Whatever you do, in word or deed, how you speak and what you do, do everything in the name of the Lord. Giving thanks, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The Christian life is a life of gratitude and thankfulness and worship to God the Father through Jesus Christ. So friends, putting off the old man, putting off the old man is is part of this preeminent progress, this this process that we need to be engaging in. It's it's given to us by Christ. It's spirit-led. It's word-driven. But taking off the old man is only halfway there. We need to be putting on Jesus Christ. That's what we're learning about today. Putting on these new clothes that we have. Putting on this new life. Putting on that new heart that is preloaded with so many Christ-like features. And so we unwrap that heart, we discover our new holy compassions, we switch on that new heart, unleashing the reconciling power of forgiveness, we set up that new heart, governing it with harmonious love and peace, and then we charge it up, fueling our heart with word-driven worship. These all come from Christ. You have to know him. You have to be saved from him to have access to this. And so I call you today, 
if you have not turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Receive your new clothes. Receive that new heart and engage it. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you. We thank you that we see here this, this great love that you have for us. That you have chosen to save us, to make us holy. That we are your beloved. Oh Lord, let us understand that in a deeper way today. Would you change us by that? And Lord, as we think of, of, of the new hearts, these new clothes that you have given us, the righteous robes of Christ applied to our life. We pray that we would unwrap our new hearts, that we would engage it, that we would have compassionate hearts with Christ-like kindness, meekness, and, and all the attributes that come with that. We have, that we would have forgiveness, true heart, whole heart forgiveness. And that we would set our hearts to an overarching rule of love and peace. And we thank you, Lord, for gathering us together as your people and that, that you have given us some very clear instructions on how to fuel our hearts, how to charge them up. And that is to gather together, teaching your word, admonishing one another, singing your word, having your word at the very center having it dwell richly. We pray today that you would uh, take your word and make its home in our hearts. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.